The big idea. Community isn't that thing I do on some Sundays. It is how I am who I am in Christ. I cannot be a Christ follower and not be in community. Our weekly identity statement, I am in Christ. I am one in Christ with my Jesus family. And our memory verse, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 45. As usual, even a week's worth of teaching on one topic isn't enough. There's so much to be said on this concept that we can't get into. There's a lot that Jesus taught his disciples in the context of community that is significant. The best thing I can say is, read the Gospels and look for how Jesus treated his community of the Twelve. For instance, Jesus prayed for them. We get a picture of that in Luke 22, verse 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus, knowing that Peter was going to be tested and knowing that he would fail the test, still prayed that Peter wouldn't fail. And knowing that he would fail, he prayed for him to come back and what he would do after he came back. Do we pray for one another like that? Probably not. But there's one massive aspect of Jesus' community we haven't covered that is crucial. Making disciples. Bringing lost brothers and sisters into the family they were created for. This family that that God has put you in is the family God created you for. But there are people who were created for this family that aren't experiencing it yet. From very early in his ministry, Jesus invited people to be with him. Matthew 4.19, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Then, Jesus' final words to those that had followed him and were still with him after the resurrection were these. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew chapter 18, verse 16 through 20. That phrase, go and make disciples, could also be translated, as you go, make disciples of all nations. Growing up, it was this verse along with Acts 1.8 that got paraded out in front of the church when we talked about world missions. Go into all the world and make disciples, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, every tribe and nation. And I agree. Except, well, backtrack with me. In Mark 11, verse 15 through 17, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. Did you notice that? House of prayer for all nations. This was a concept taught in the Old Testament by Isaiah and Jeremiah, Isaiah 56, verse 7, and Jeremiah 7, verse 11. The picture is that all nations or all nationalities or all ethnicities would be gathered together in prayer. All peoples united together as one family by one father in prayer, communion. 
I do not think it was a coincidence that Jesus used the same phrase here. And while it definitely was meant as a sending tool, it was also a uniting tool. So you might translate Jesus' Great Commission in this way, as you go, bring all people into the family and teach them what it means to be my family. As you are on your way, because following Jesus is a journey, invite everyone along your journey into the family. And when you invite them in, teach them how to be family. This is precisely what Jesus did. As he was on his way, he taught his disciples to be brothers and sisters. Jesus bucked the trend here, and in an incredibly countercultural move, he had women who were his disciples. So it really was brothers and sisters. As he went, he taught them all to be his family. I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus' disciples, especially those outside the Twelve, were incredibly diverse in their ethnicity as well as their social standing. To be a Christian, which begins with believing, is to be in a family which is belonging. But it doesn't end there. Because to belong to a family, we must learn how to behave in the family so we can become like the rest of the family. But it doesn't stop there either. Someone invited you in, now you have the joy and blessing of inviting others in. No, it's not a burden. No, it's not an obligation. It is a blessing. It's delightful. You get to be the person that invites someone into the most meaningful community experience they will ever have. Just like families have children, just like in the Bible we read that so-and-so begat so-and-so, Adam begat Seth, Noah begat Shem, Hem, and Japheth, David begat Solomon, we too get to beget, like begets like. You get to bring someone into the family and teach them what it means to be in the family. Believe, belong, behave, become, and beget. Are you begetting? As you go about your day-in, day-out life, are you inviting people into the family? Are you being careful how you live, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil? Ephesians 5, verse 15 and 16. I know it's hard. It's hard for me, too. I have a hard time getting myself out around people who don't believe and inviting them into the family. Like you, I treat it like a burden. I treat it like something I don't really want to do, but then I try to remind myself. At one point, I was an orphan, but now I am a son with the universe's greatest dad. At one point, I didn't belong. Now I'm a priest. At one point, I didn't have an identity, but now I am one of God's chosen people. I remind myself that I'm in a world of orphans. I'm in a world of people who are so hungry for a father that they're willing to let a liar be their father. I'm in a world of people who accept lesser fathers all the time, many of whom are good, but none of them even in the same existence as the one who created them. We live in a world full of people looking for an identity, and I have the place where they will truly and fully belong. It's not easy. It's incredibly difficult. It can feel like a burden. But... When someone you know goes from being a slave outside the gate to being a child and having a seat at the table, that's when you know it's not a burden at all. It's a joy. It's a blessing. It's a delight. It's an honor. It's the best thing we get to do in this life. Why don't we do it more? Our daily scripture focus, 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, 
but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As we wrap up, I encourage you to take a few minutes to think and pray through a few things. First, conceptualize. Imagine your 6-8 community as one family unit with God as our Father. Imagine your brothers as princes and your sisters as princesses. Imagine you are sitting at a table in God's kingdom, sharing a meal with your Father. Imagine looking down the table and seeing all the different nations sitting there with you, united by the bloodline of Jesus. Now, who isn't there? Who's missing? Second, reflect. Do you see inviting people to belong to your 6-8 family as a burden or a blessing? Third, repent. Spend some time praying and ask God to change your mind and heart about each of these areas. If you have resisted inviting someone into the family, ask God to help you see that person as he sees them and to help you see the gift of being in the family of God like he sees it. Finally, thank God. Thank God for including you in the process of adopting people into the family. Thank God for adopting you into his family. And thank God for those who are going to be adopted into the family because of you. 